So I sat on the floor of my living room talking on the phone with my best friend, Leo. I had just recently moved to Cedar Rapids, Iowa to be the young adult pastor at a large growing Bible church. And we had this new house. We were in a good neighborhood. Uh, A lot had changed in life, and I was doing really, really well. On the phone was my friend, Leo. Leo was working full-time while in seminary, looking at becoming a pastor himself. But while I was doing great in life, Leo was not doing very hot. Uh, A few things from his past had begun to come up, and they were affecting him and not allowing him to be the husband and father that he wanted to be. And so he actually had started going to counseling. And, And through the process of counseling, some things were coming up and coming out that were causing a lot of questions, a lot of doubts, and it was really deeply bothering Leo. And as we sat on the phone, I'm thinking, life is great. And yet I'm hearing my friend Leo, and I'm hearing a different story. In fact, Leo at one point said during our conversation, he says, Aaron, I don't trust my wife right now. He says, and if I'm honest, I don't trust you. So I don't even know why I'm sharing any of this with you, because you're probably just going to throw it back in my face and hurt me. But probably scariest of all is that I don't trust God. Have you ever been there? Have you ever reached a point where emotionally you just don't know if you can trust God? You find yourself doubting if he exists. And if he does exist, is he even good? Because if he was good, why would he let me go through this? Maybe it happened when a relationship fell apart. Or maybe it was when you lost a really dear, close loved one to death. Maybe it was when you were fired from your job. Or maybe it was when the bills kept coming and yet your bank statement continued to say zero. Something happened and continued to happen. And you find yourself in a spot where you are doubting the goodness of God. You are doubting the existence of God. You are doubting whether you can even trust. Some people, they call this a dark night of the soul. Uh, Others, it's a spiritual winter. Some people, they describe it as feeling just spiritually dry. God just seems distant. He just seems removed. And it causes a lot of pain. Some of us, we try to cope with this internal emotional pain in different ways. Uh, Some people, they just pour themselves more and more into their work. Uh, I, I've known some people that it's, they get into exercise. Uh, some people like me, they, they will turn to entertainment, trying to distract themselves. Some people like my friend Leo would turn to alcohol or, or other substances. Uh, some people, they will try food. Some will try shopping. I mean, we try all sorts of methods to medicate this emotional pain. And yet what we discover days, hours, sometimes even minutes after ingesting in our medication the pain is still there. We discovered that it was just a quick fix and it really even wasn't a fix. We discovered that what we were trying to do was the equivalent of taking ibuprofen to cure cancer. It doesn't work. So what do you do? This is where the Israelites were at last week. As we jumped into the book of Jeremiah, 
We saw Jeremiah warning the people that if they did not return back to God, he was going to allow certain things to happen to them, including exile. And sure enough, a nation from the north, Babylon, came down, defeated them in battle, and carted them off into exile. The people found themselves now in a different nation, in a different country, surrounded by the talk of different gods, and they began to wonder if their god had abandoned them. They began to wonder, is God good? And can he be trusted? And so that's why last week, as we jumped into Jeremiah, we looked at these hope-filled words, these encouraging words that God said to the people through Jeremiah. The people were carted off to Babylon, and Jeremiah got left behind with just a few And yet he continued to write letters as a priest and as a prophet to the people. And he said this in Jeremiah 31, what we heard last week. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Today, we're going to hear some very similar words. However, they're going to come from a completely different prophet. Whereas Jeremiah wrote this in a letter and sent it to Babylon, we're going to hear from a prophet who was taken into Babylon. And yet, we're going to hear the same message, the same idea, God wooing the people, letting them know he can be trusted, he really is good, he is still with them. But God is going to take it one step further. Rather than just share the words, he's going to give them a vivid illustration, hoping that by seeing this, they will now have a greater reminder of God's love for them and that he can be trusted. And my hope and prayer is that if you're in a spot where you're really struggling, you're doubting God, it'll be a reminder to you that he is good and he can be trusted. So Father, as we come into the scriptures, as we turn to the book of Ezekiel, would you speak to us? Lord, you wrote this to a people uh, a few thousand years ago, and yet there are truths that remain that, that even can help us. And so I pray for everyone in this room, no matter where they're at in their spiritual journey, that if things are going really, really tough right now, that today would be the hope and encouragement that they need. And and for others, that if things are going awesome right now, that this message would sink deep into their hearts so that when the difficult time comes, that they will be able to carry through and realize that their current condition does not have to be their forever condition. Instead, that you are with them, and they will come through this because you are God and you are good. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you brought a Bible uh, or a Bible app on your phone, open it up to Ezekiel chapter 36, Ezekiel 36. It was interesting this week as I was uh, studying, I learned that uh, Ezekiel's life was very, very similar to Jeremiah's. Uh, Jeremiah was about 20 years older than Ezekiel, so chances were Ezekiel was very familiar with the ministry of Jeremiah. But Jeremiah had been a priest who God called to be a prophet. The same with Ezekiel. He was a priest who God just began to use more and more as a prophet. But there's one big difference between the two, and that is when you read Jeremiah, he sounds a lot like some of the other prophets. But when you read Ezekiel, 
you see a lot of really crazy dreams. I mean, really crazy. I mean, he saw things like creatures with four faces and human hands and surrounded by fire and they had wings and there were eyes all over their bodies. And, and that's just the first chapter. I mean, you just read it through and you start wondering if God was like taking this guy to the brink of insanity. I mean, he saw some crazy, wicked stuff. But it's actually one of those crazy, wicked dreams that is going to be used to help us see this encouraging message that God had through Ezekiel. So let's first look at the encouraging message in Ezekiel 36, and then we'll see the dream. Uh, Ezekiel 36, start in verse 24 with me. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. So remember, Ezekiel is in Babylon speaking to the people, and God is saying, I'm going to take you out of the nations and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Do you hear the similarities? How, how in Jeremiah, it was this new covenant that God was going to write on their hearts, put within them. And here, the similar idea that God's going to take out this heart of stone, this heart that, that will not follow them, and give them a heart of flesh, something soft, something that's malleable, something that will beat with the heartbeat of God. He, he's going to put his spirit within them. Do you start to get the idea that God really wants them to get this message? He's saying it through Jeremiah in letters. He's now saying it through Ezekiel right to the people. But just so the people really capture it, really get it, he gives Ezekiel another one of his crazy dreams, and it's through that dream the people now hear this word and see them kind of fleshed out. So look over to chapter 37 with me, and here's the dream. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones, and he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O oh Lord God, you know. And then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live, and I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound, a behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Now, those of you who know me, 
uh, know that I really like movies. Uh, it, I, I use way too many movie illustrations, I realize. And it probably isn't going to stop because I continue to watch movies. I like good stories. I, I really enjoy getting into a movie and, and getting caught up in the story. If you give me a movie that has a lot of action but basically no story, I'm not going to enjoy it nearly as much as a movie that has a great story and, and maybe some action. I like action in a movie, but give me a good story. But more than a good story, I also appreciate good directing, great acting. I, I, I like seeing unique film angles, and, and I really can appreciate filmography. I, to me, it's all art, including CGI. CGI stands for Computer Generated Imagery, and it's quite controversial. There are some people who say, we got to get rid of it. This is ruining the movies. And I can understand why they might say that. Because if you watch some movies, there will be a moment where you're watching, and the special effects will actually jolt you out of the story, and you'll be reminded you're just watching a movie. And you can watch it, and you might even begin to laugh, even when it's not supposed to be a funny moment. Because it's so ludicrous what you're seeing on the screen, and it just looks pathetic. But what you don't realize is that most shows that you see, even on TV, include some computer-generated imagery. And when it's done right, you don't even know that you're seeing it. You get so caught up into the story, you don't realize that much of what you're seeing was just being acted in front of a green screen. It, it's done so well, it can match up with the director's vision, it matches up with the, the filming. And, and when it's done right, they can actually win awards for this because it truly is an art form. But there's a danger to good CGI. The danger is that the more you watch movies like me, the more you see things, the more you feel like, in a sense, you've experienced them. So that when news coverage actually goes to a place where it's been torn apart by war or it's been ravaged by some you know, natural disaster, it doesn't quite impact you the same because, in a sense, you've already seen it because you saw it in a movie. My fear is that when we come to Ezekiel 37, we will be affected so much by a CGI-induced slumber that we just kind of go, hmm, okay. So what I want you to do is to wake up, get out of the CGI-induced state, and I want you to see what Ezekiel saw. He's in a vision, God brings him to a valley, and it is covered with bones. This would be eerie. And, and, and the bones aren't piled up. The bones are just scattered across the ground. This would make you think this is a battleground, and this is where people lost their lives. And no one has disturbed it. Because the skin, the muscle, everything is just decayed off. And he calls them dry bones. They've been laying there for weeks, months, years. And it's still there. And now he's having to wander through it. He's trying not to disturb it. And he's probably wondering, God, why have you brought me here? And then God says, Ezekiel, I want you to prophesy to the bones. But really? To, you want me to prophesy to bones? I think I'd be kind of looking up at heaven going, uh, did I hear you right? Like, prophesying to people makes sense because they can actually hear you. Prophesying to bones? But clearly Ezekiel's more spiritual than I, and he doesn't question God. He just does it. And God says, here's what I want you to say. So he begins to prophesy to the bones. 
And again, he has not seen a movie in his entire life. He's never seen a CGI-induced uh, scene. All of a sudden, as he's beginning to speak these words to these bones, they begin to rattle. And they begin to shake across the ground. And all of a sudden, like magnets, they start coming together. And pretty soon, he starts seeing skeletons. And as the skeletons start coming into form, all of a sudden, like tendons start growing. And, and muscle. And the skin starts covering And he's sitting there watching it. And it isn't just happening with one or a couple. I mean, it's just happening with all of these bones. Pretty soon the valley is filled with these people. But did you notice what Ezekiel noticed? Right right there in verse 8, as he describes all of this stuff happening, the muscles, the, the, the flesh coming on and the skin covering them, he suddenly finishes with this sentence. But there was no breath in them. He doesn't call them human yet because they're not alive. If you've ever been to a traditional funeral where the body is in the casket up front, you've witnessed this. Because you can walk up front and there you can see the skin, you can see the hair. I mean, you can see the person, but yet you know that person's not there because there's no breath in them. This uh, this time, when the Israelites would have first heard Ezekiel sharing this, this would have brought back to mind uh, Genesis chapter 2. They, they, I don't think they had chapter divisions yet and, and verse divisions. But for us, we know it as Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. It's when God created mankind. He creates Adam. And it says this, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground, so there's the forming of the body, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. Without the breath coming in, he wasn't living. In the Hebrew language, the word ruah means breath. But if you want to sound really nerdy at your next uh, work uh, function, start dropping this bomb that ruach not only means breath, but it also means wind and it means spirit. And often translators have to use the context so that they know which is it. But in the mind of a Hebrew, it was all connected. And so to talk about breath, you're also talking about spirit. And so as Ezekiel, I mean, sorry, in Genesis, when God is breathing into Adam, it's more than just breath filling his lungs. He's filling him with a spirit. It's the spirit that makes him alive. The Apostle Paul writes about this kind of spiritual phenomenon Whereas we know physically, when you have breath, you're alive. He says the same thing spiritually. That without a spirit, you're spiritually dead. The Apostle Paul believed back in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit, they died spiritually. In in chapter 2, verse 17 of Genesis, God warned Adam, Hey, you can eat of any fruit except the fruit of this tree. If you eat it, you will die. Now, we've already studied this in this His Story series. So if you, if you want, go back on the website and you can listen to, I think it's probably the second or third uh, in the whole series. But go back and listen, and you can hear how God, when he creates Adam and says, if you do this, you'll die, he mercifully allows Adam and Eve to continue to live and transfers the punishment onto another animal. However, you immediately see, after they ate the forbidden fruit, They begin to hide from God. They try to cover their nakedness because they spiritually died. So they were still physically alive, making a slow death, 
but they died spiritually immediately. And ever since, every single human ever born is in that same state. They're born physically alive, but spiritually dead. They have physical breath within them, but they lack the spiritual breath. They lack a spirit. Which means that a lot of people that you interact with on a day-to-day basis, they're physically alive. You see their bodies. You see, you know, the, the skin. But they're spiritually dead. They don't have that breath in them. This is where Ezekiel's at. He's standing there looking across this valley. And it's no longer just a bunch of bones. He now sees human bodies. But there's no breath in them. And so they are not physically alive nor spiritually alive. That is why God doesn't just stop there. He continues. Ezekiel, now prophesy to the breath. And he does. When he prophesies to the breath, the winds come in, and the wind doesn't just blow their hair and blow across their skin. It blows into them. And all of a sudden, these lifeless bodies go, and they're alive. And they begin to stand up, and it's a huge army. So why does God tell Ezekiel to do this? To prophesy to these bones, to prophesy to this breath. What is the point? If you go on to Ezekiel 37 verses 11 and 12, you see that God is saying that these bones are the nation of Israel. In fact, do we have that one? Uh, I think I skipped a couple slides, Mike. Yeah, it says these bones are the house of Israel. And I am going to resurrect Israel just like these bones. I'm going to pull them out of this Babylonian grave and I'm going to restore them back to their land and they will be alive. And suddenly, what you heard in chapter 36 about this new heart, God's spirit being put in them, now they begin to see it lived out. These bones, if God could take bones, put them together, breathe life into them, and they're all living again, if he can do a resurrection, then they can trust what he said in chapter 36. He really is God, he really is good, and he can be trusted. So as I was reading this this week and studying, two thoughts really jumped out to me that I want to share with you. What I think you could take with you from the story is first, your current condition is not your forever condition. Think about Israel. They're in Babylon. They're in exile. They're alone. They probably felt like there was no future, no hope for them. They probably just thought, this is where we're going to die. God was giving them hope. If you've ever hit a point where you're depressed, maybe it's because you lost the job, maybe it's because a loved one passed away, maybe it's financial stress, and you just find yourself so depressed, confused, frustrated, it's amazing how short-sighted we get. All we can see is today. All we can see is the moment. All we can experience is the pain. And what we need to do is lift our eyes up from today and look out into the future and realize that our current condition is not our forever condition. Because you would expect dry bones to just remain dry bones. I mean, dry bones don't just suddenly, you know, put themselves together, take on sinews and flesh and skin. No, they would just lay and remain. And God is showing the Israelites, if I can do this, 
I can bring you out of Babylon at the right time, and I can take you back home. And I think the same promise extends to you. That whatever situation you find yourself in is not going to be there for eternity. That if you find yourself unemployed, you're not going to be eternally unemployed. If you find yourself currently single, it doesn't mean you have to die alone. If you find yourself fighting depression, it doesn't mean you have no future. Your current condition does not have to be your forever condition. Because you serve a God who can change it. And so will you seek him? Will you trust him? Will you follow him? Or will you just keep your eyes down and miss out on what could be? Because there's another part out of this story that I take uh, comfort in. And that is that Jesus can resurrect us. Jesus resurrects our spirit. If you dive into the New Testament, you see this idea that when a person places their faith in Jesus, they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to dwell within you. And now you have God's presence, God's power in you, with you, dwelling with you wherever you are. In fact, in the book of Romans, chapter 8, Paul puts it this way. Verses 9 through 11. You, however, are not in the flesh, meaning just in the sinful condition of humanity. You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through a spirit who dwells in you. In other words, true life is found in Jesus. And with Jesus, it's never the end. In fact, let, let me just go really worst case scenario on you. Let's just say that you lose your job, uh, you lose a loved one, your car gets totaled in a wreck, your house gets taken out by a tornado, and you're told by the doctor you have stage 4 cancer, and all that happens in a week. All right? that, that probably sounds about the worst possible that could happen. Maybe you could think of a couple more things to throw in there, but we'll just, we'll just run with that. Okay. Let's even say that the cancer's so bad, it just absolutely ravages you, that you die within just a few weeks, you still have no job because you got fired, you still didn't get your car replaced, your house never got repaired, and so you die homeless and penniless and no car. I mean, in the eyes of America, it was a bad, disastrous end. And yet, if your life is in Christ, you have eternity with God. And you get an eternity of his presence, an eternity of his wealth, an eternity of his love, of his kindness, no more pain, no more tears. Have you really lost anything? Your current condition is not your future condition. Your, I mean, sorry, your forever condition. Because Jesus resurrects your spirit. And so if God's spirit is alive in you, you are truly alive. And so no matter what happens in this life, you can still praise God. Now, you don't want to sit there and praise him. God, I'm so glad I got fired. All right, no, it's okay to cry out. God, I don't understand why I got fired, but I trust you. God, I don't understand why the relationship came to an end, but you are good. God, I don't understand why the various things happened in my upbringing. Why, as I'm going to counseling, I'm now doubting my wife and my friends and even you, but you are God 
and you are good. As I sat on the phone that night with Leo, I didn't know what to say. I actually found myself just frustrated, uh, flustered. I mean, when a, when a pastor doesn't know what to say, it's, it's pretty bad. And so I finally just reached a point where I just said, can we pray? And he laughed at me. And he's like, you can pray, as if to say, I'm not. And that was a really sad moment for me, because Leo has a spiritual gift of intercession. When Leo prays, you feel like you are just ushered into the presence of God. And to hear him say, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to pray, because I don't trust God. I kind of mumbled a prayer for a bit, not sure what to say, and I just kind of ended. And then all of a sudden, Leo began to pray. And it was raw. I mean, it was just there. And as he began to pray, we realized that God was at work. Because you see, years ago, Leo prayed, God, would you just take me apart and remake me? I want to become like Jesus. I don't care what it costs. And he even had the audacity to say, God, would you answer this prayer even if I don't know what I'm asking? And as he began to pray on the phone, we realized that God had said yes. That through the counseling, God was taking him apart and remaking him. His current condition was not his forever condition. I'm thrilled to say Leo is a fantastic husband. He's got seven beautiful children. He's now pastoring a church out in Washington. His life is so different than it was 15 years ago when we were on the phone. And just as God can resurrected Leo's situation and he changed the situation for Israel, God can change your situation. I can't tell you when he's going to do it. God has his own timing. But I'm telling you he can. He can change it. Will you hang on? Will you cling to him? Will you just long for that breath from God and let him breathe in you so that you just breathe out your praise to him? Because Jesus, just as he can resurrect your soul, can resurrect your condition. If you're not a follower of Jesus here today, I'm going to invite you to allow God to breathe his spirit into you. Most people, when they're ready to make a decision like that, just mark the moment with prayer. And so in, in just a moment, I'm going to pray. I'm going to give you some space to just say, God, I confess that I've been living for myself. I confess my sin to you. I'm spiritually dead. And yet, I invite you to breathe your life into me, to change me so that that image of God that you put in me in creation can begin to be restored so that I will look like Jesus and love like Jesus. And those of you who are already following Jesus, if you're in a really difficult spot right now, I just encourage you, use this time of prayer. Just cry out to God. Would you breathe into me, God? Give me life. If you've been feeling like a heap of dry bones, you just pray that God would restore the joy of your salvation. So, Father, I just want to pray right now that you would be at work, that your spirit would minister to the hearts and minds of the people that are here. God, you not only know their names, you know their stories, you know their fears, you know their doubts, you see their wounds, you've seen their tears, you've heard those cries, and you love them. So God, right now, as we pray to you, would you hear our prayers? As we cry out to you for breath, would you breathe into us? Would we have a sense of your presence? 
Would you help us just to experience that life that's found in Christ? Jesus, I just want to say thank you. I want to say thank you for not only leaving your throne in heaven to come to earth and take on human flesh, but that you went to a cross. You were no criminal. You had never done anything wrong. You'd never even sinned against your father. And yet we have, and our sin is what deserves death. But rather than to exile us into eternal punishment, you, Jesus, came to die on the cross so that our sins could be forgiven and we could come back into a relationship with you. So, Lord, I just celebrate with anyone today that has put their faith in you. Would you just give us the joy of seeing their spiritual journey and watching them grow in you? I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ. Maybe you've been struggling. This week's been hard. Maybe there's other stresses of job and finances and kids and relationships. And I pray that they would just fall on their knees before you, knowing that you can change the situation, that their current condition is not their forever condition. God, may we be a people, may we be a church that clings to you, that holds on to you through all things. Your gospel would carry us and it would renew us and it would fill us with joy and it would give us strength to live each day for your glory. So God, I just pray right now that your spirit would just move. You'd breathe upon us and we'd leave here today just reinvigorated, refreshed because of who you are and what you've done. Help us to trust you because you are God and you are good. In Jesus' name we pray together.